This episode of the Skift podcast features a discussion from a recent online Skift event. To join us and learn more about future Skift events, visit live.skift.com. Please welcome founder and CEO for Hopper, Frederick Lalonde, in discussion with Skift executive editor and founding editor, Dennis Shaw. Fred, thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, please put some questions for Fred in the, uh, in the app. I'll be your best friend if you do that. Um, so Hopper is really uh, leading the charge and doing some things that haven't been tried before in online travel. So I want to hear all about that. And then you have some contrarian views about a few things that I would uh, definitely like to hear about as well. So, so for people who don't know, could you explain what Hopper is and how you make money? Yeah, so we started um, a long time ago. 2007. Yes, and we took a long time to launch. This was the days of the lean startup we were supposed to build in six days. And we took six years. We started aggregating GDS data to forecast the future. And so, and we did a bunch of dumb things in between. And I, I remember some people writing about us, like one of the first things we launched. Um, but where we really got our traction is we were helping people figure out when to buy. And you would think that airfare completely consolidated all the problems are solved. But everybody that you know, if you, they know you work in travel, is like, when should I buy this ticket? And, Hopper basically solved that. We launched as an app only, which was super weird in 2015. Um, and as a consequence of that, we became the brand of choice of pretty much anybody under 40, and almost nobody under 40 knows who we are. So we're the largest travel app. We get more downloads than uh, Booking or Expedia. We have about 70 million users on this thing. And since that, um, we started becoming an OTA proper, so selling air, hotels, and you know, mostly air, so it was a terrible business. <laughs> we were just making no money. And so what we did uh, pre-pandemic is we started looking at our long-term prospects, which were, you know, you know we we're going to be the Duolingo of travel. So, you know, people using us, nobody buying. And we got into the fintech. And you can literally see on any of our charts, when we started offering what we call our financial services now, um, we became a vile business. So today, 70% of what we do in terms of our revenue is not selling travel. It's these financial products. 70. Yes, seven zero, And it's growing faster than the travel component, even though the whole thing is growing. And the last thing I'm sure we'll talk about is um, last year, and we really announced that this year, we launched Hopper Cloud, which most of you are wearing around your neck right now, so that's why we're sponsoring, is so that you can read the cloud thing. Um, and fundamentally, that is making our financial products available to third parties, other companies. Capital One was announced, one of the bigger deals, they were our anchor customers, but airlines, hotels, OTAs, just basically um, accelerating the adoption of fintech in the entire travel category. So this would sort of be like airlines making more on the bag fees than on the flights. I mean, ancillaries are awesome. There's, there's one quote, I can't remember who said it, which is, there's only two ways to make money in business, bundling and unbundling. <laughs> and, and rebundling. <laughs> yes. And so what we did is we basically um, 
allowed customers to purchase new things, like a price freeze. It's a real thing. We do it in Aaron Hotel, and we make huge amounts of volumes on this. One out of four of every airline ticket that we sell on Hopper was previously frozen, and one out of four hotel room is frozen before it's purchased. So we just made it possible for customers to buy new things in travel that didn't exist last year or the year before. So when you say frozen, you charge uh, customers like between $20 and $40 to freeze the price. Um, if it goes up beyond what you froze it for, you take the loss. So you're, I've heard you talk about it as sort of like a hedge fund. Yeah, when you aggregate it, it, it comes as a hedge fund. And the way we came up with this is, you know, we were doing price forecasting, and we're accurate to the day, a year in advance, 95% of the time. And that's why people use us. But, like, what about the 5%? Like that we actually hose our customers and get it wrong and tell them to wait and then the prices go up. And so we were thinking about this and, well, that's bad, but what if it's a different 5% every month and it rotates across our entire user base? So we started thinking of this idea of like, everybody pitch in five bucks and if we get the forecast wrong for Dennis, we'll pay the difference. That was kind of the inception idea, a risk pool, right? Which people do this in insurance and in other categories. So we were thinking about that and it turns out that for all sorts of different reasons, people want to be insulated from the yield management of the airlines and the hotels. But at the same time, it, this is very important to the airlines business. So what we do is we sit in the middle and, you know, to your point, if the price goes up, you're paying what you froze. If it goes down, you pay the lowest. And if there's a difference when you book, we, we pay out to Marriott and American Airlines. And so no effect on RM, which is why everybody likes this. So that's interesting, but the reason it really works is if you book, we credit the price of the freeze to your booking, so it's free. Mm -hmm. So this is just a much better way to buy stuff in travel is to you know, put a deposit down. For us, it's super cool because we can activate a new customer for $14 instead of 470 or whatever the actual cost of the travel is. So it's one of those rare like win across the board, everybody wins right. things. A win-win. Yes. The problem is you have to price it well because we're pricing the risk. Right. When we launched this in error first, we lost enormous amounts. <laughs> like, it was ridiculous the amount of money we were losing on this. And the reason we can do it is the same reason that people were throwing rocks at me for aggregating the data, is we understand future prices better than anybody else, so we can price the risk in a way that nobody else can do. Therefore, we can actually offer this product. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes right. we get it wrong, but on aggregate, we do better. Right. So uh, you mentioned that you were, you were kind of slow to uh, get going. And uh, so Hopper has raised $600 million, has a $3.5 billion valuation. Um, are these products that you're doing, are they really fintech? Or is this a way to, a buzzy way to up your valuation, et cetera? <laughs> That's a good question. So um, the reason that we started calling them fintech, um, it was, we did this before it was cool. So I have oh, that okay. in my defense. <laughs> but also, it's because we take the risk on our P&L. Um, so the, the, one of the things that happened is we're, we're pretty reckless in terms of how we build product. It's one of the reasons we, we've stayed private for so long is so we can take risk. So what we, what we do is we actually have that entire risk pool for price freeze, 
cancel for any reason, change, disruption, and you know, so we have all these product suites. Th these things sit on our PL. So we went from being an OTA with the kind of financial PL you would expect with that to becoming something that is getting most of its revenue from this, but also that has a stack of financial liabilities that doesn't look anything like a software company or an OTA. It looks like a firm in that mm -hmm. sense of it. So, you know, I won't say our auditors made me call it that, but when you really look at what we're becoming as a company, especially with the cloud, where in some of these cases we're not even selling the travel, these are our orthogonal financial products. One interesting point about price freeze, so everybody's losing their mind over buy now, pay later, and it's about time because customers care about this, but about one out of three of our customers that freeze a price when we survey them, why did you do that? The answer is, I don't have the money in my bank account to book the whole thing. I'm waiting for my paycheck. I'm using this as a deposit. And if you think of it, it's actually a better version of buy now, pay later, because what I'm actually doing is not making you buy, but I'm holding the price for you, and you actually get to pay later. So we actually discovered this accidentally as we got to market, that a lot of these things, even though they're called differently on Hopper, um, they might actually end up being, time will tell, better version of some of the standard fintech products that have come from outside of the travel industry, like a firm. Right. So you just, do you see um, Hopper, the end game for Hopper is more of a, um, a B2B company or a consumer company? Because you just did this deal with Amadeus where they're going to be distributing these sorts of products to airlines, OTAs, etc. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, yes what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes to all those things. Yeah. So um, you mean, a more interesting way to ask that question could have been, why are you stupid enough to take your financial products and give it to your competitors? Because right. that's what we're, I'm surprised you didn't ask it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but the fundamental reason that we're, we're doing the B2B thing is because we obsess about lowering the cost of travel and to our customers. This is like, and I will use the ugly word, we're here to steal share from expedient booking all day. Like I'm a private company, I can talk differently about these things. Mm -hmm. And so the way we do that is we drop the price of travel. So we do this through, um, we have a, a wallet, a digital wallet, and of course the the, the unit is called a carrot, right? And so you can earn carrots. Some of you might have them if you have the app right now. But the point is, customers respond to a $2 difference on airfare, they'll decide where they're booked on a $300 average order value. It's primarily about price at the end of the day, in leisure. So that segment, our app is pretty good at, generationally. But if you think the whole town, like the last Bain number I saw, travel is going to be $2 trillion when it's fully recovered. You can pick mm -hmm. 22, 23, 24, whatever you want. The biggest segment you can get as an OTA is 400 billion. That's where Glenn and Peter and I compete for the, the OTA market. But ultimately, that's a big town, but Shopify is bigger, right? Like all commerce is bigger than that. So what we looked at is said, well, what if we actually made it cheaper, more convenient to book travel everywhere? Because some people are always going to book on American Airlines, and that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. As a customer, they're allowed to do that. Why can't they freeze the price? So we use just very simple thinking around everything we do. Does a customer want it? Can we build it quickly and do something innovative? Can we make money? And when the answer is yes, we do it. That's the strategy. There's nothing else. Right. So I suspect that the 
app will continue to grow um, because we're doing a lot of innovative things. And I suspect, well, I know this, that the cloud product is going to get as large as the app or probably larger in the next 12 months. Right. I've ex asked uh, several speakers about super apps. They're, you know, super, super big uh, in China, Southeast Asia. And uh, Dara, former Expedia CEO, Uber CEO now, uh, he says, no, they're, they're definitely not coming to the West. It's an Asia thing. I think you think a little differently about that. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with this. Yes. This is like, this is, so our thesis at Hopper is that the East, China and Asia, is ahead of the West in terms of customer behavior. And so you got to be careful looking at what old guys like you and me do. And if you have kids or teenagers and you look at what they're doing with their phones, it's not like an incremental change. It's completely different behavior. And so the, the way that we use social media in the West, the way that we do commerce is totally different than China. True. But if you slice it generationally and you start to look at what Millennial 2 does and Gen Z, their behavior starts to look a lot more more like what you see in Latin America and Asia, not just the mobile use, but how they use it. And so here's my thesis, right? On the web, so if, if you think the primary device is the desktop, and you, you use Google for almost everything, because as a customer, we are going to compare, on average, 34 websites before we book something. And 10 times that's TripAdvisor, because he's really good at getting in Google. And right. Google is almost all of that. On a phone, Switching between 34 apps that do the same thing is a mental illness. Nobody does that, right? And so you don't have to, that's the strategy, right? On the phone, you pick one third-party app and maybe a supplier app, and that's what you're using, and that's the end of the day. So when you look at the mobile share between third-party and supplier, like take Meta and OTA over here and Direct over here, you actually see that both constituencies are growing equally. But, and this is hard to do, if you pull out app only, forget the, the, the mobile web that old guys like us do, but right. nobody under 35. Second does. reference yeah. to old guys, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Glenn also did the same thing. <laughs> so if you look at that, on app, which is most of phone time, the aggregators are winning massive share because you launch an app. You don't go Google, then Google get the app. And this is how, I have some proof of my theory here. We have gotten to 70 million users with our app, and I have functionally given Google zero money in eight years. Right? They're not part of that ecosystem. And so my thesis is that there will be a Western global super app for travel. Right? It may actually be owned by one of the e-commerce giants. So it might be Amazon, it might be Alibaba, Google, or Facebook, or one of these guys. But it will be app commerce, and it will be super app. And we're obsessed with this idea, and we're trying to become that. Do you hear anybody clamoring for you know, to do everything on one app in the West? I mean... Google is under uh, you know, antitrust scrutiny for yep. being a monopoly, controlling too much of the web. Um, do, you, you know, do people really want to, to do all their travel using Facebook or Amazon? We saw airline consolidation, limiting choice. I just don't see people clamoring for this kind of thing. So because we're doing it wrong. Okay. Like everything we're doing in the West for, for, for this thesis is wrong. Um, so like I'll, I'll take my favorite example, which yeah. we talked about, like Pin Duo Duo. Okay, so raise your hand in this room if you know what Pin Duo Duo is. 
for the record, only one, because I talked hand. to him. Yeah. So <laughs> Pinduoduo is actually the largest e-commerce app in China. It's available in the West. It's all in Chinese, but you can take a look at it. And it is this absurd mix of gamification, live streaming, and they, they, they actually have the largest, fastest ramp up to $5 billion of revenue, faster than Alibaba, faster than ByteDance. Um, and they're actually publicly traded at $100 billion now. And so what did these guys do? How did they do it? They literally don't acquire customers, yet they have 750 million monthly active users. And yes, they sell travel. It's actually the last tab. They just, you, they just launched flights. They just did it, yeah. yeah. And, so, and they have hotels, actually. So what they did is they said, people are willing to invest time doing various things, comparison shopping, comparing this, going here, to save money in commerce in general and in travel. We will put that in the app, but make it fun. So you can literally, this is a true thing, water a tree like a Tamagashi, and at the end of a week, you get free fruit. Like this is actually one of the things that they do. They have this other thing where if I invite you and we shake our phones together at the same time, we will get booking credit. They have another thing where we can start what's called a team where we decide that we're going to Fort Lauderdale and we, we shop and book at the same time. And the more people I invite to my team or your team, if you start it, the more discount. The point is this app does one thing that I've never seen. If you engage with it, like with Duolingo, you get real money back. Facebook, Amazon, like name all the Western companies. Just we for using it? Just for using it. Okay. And so typically, OTAs will spend $20, $40, $50 a customer, like to acquire a customer. And we're forking that out to Facebook and Snapchat and Google, which is okay, but why don't I give this to you as a customer in the app? So today, our, our spend budget, our digital marketing budget, is way over $100 million a year. So we're still an order of magnitude smaller than the big guys, but we're up there. We almost give twice as much of that in app. And my goal is to have a marketing budget of zero, and we're trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So I think you're not seeing this pick up in the West because we are doing it wrong, because we don't under us understand how customers are going to behave in the future. Right. Um, I'm going to get to the audience question, but first I want to ask you, you also believe that super apps, uh, travel super app coming to the West, it might take 10 years for it to, to get traction, and that it will make Google irrelevant, and that um, Expedia and Booking.com can't do it because it's not in their game plan. So expound on that. Yeah. So Google as a company won't be irrelevant. Like they, they own half the infrastructure, the fiber, Android, and all that. But I think searching, going to a keyword, will will lose share. And actually, there's proof of this. Um, this is almost five years ago. Product searches on Amazon in just raw numbers of searches overtook Google. Not all searches, but the product searches on Google. And if you look at Amazon's advertising business, it's just phenomenal because they're letting people bid you know, for those commerce pages. So I don't think it's in the DNA of you know, Google to disrupt themselves completely, although right. they're a very innovative company and I wouldn't, I wouldn't short them on anything. But also... A lot of people are upset. Like, how many people got on the stage and complained about something they're doing, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's part of it is it's been around for a while. The Expedia and the bookings, it's because, look, they have a great gig. Like, you know, they put 
five billion into Google and they get nine billion back. You know, right. when there's not a pandemic. So like, come on, like, like of course they're going to keep doing that. And then they have to worry about all the other stuff that's happening. This is one of those things where you know you have to be built. Your DNA has to be built from the ground up completely differently. How many hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue am I forfeiting by not being on the web? You can't right. book air on the web on Hopper, right? So you know it's probably a lot. Is that going to make me more likely to come up with a super app model that works in the West? Yes. Will we succeed? Well, let's talk in five years. I'll see what, how it's going. <laughs> come on back in five years, yeah. Fred. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask this audience question. Uh, do you have any plans to start accepting virtual currency? We're, we're very interesting in all currency. Um, we're interested in, um, so right now we give credit in the form of carrots, like, that being real money, being it fungible to dollars, you know, Bitcoin. Um, so the, there's one thing, and, and we always build from our customers. We don't sit in a room and do a strategy thing. We ask our customers questions, and when they need things, we try to make them. So there's this one stat, which I believe is more universal than Hopper. 70% of our customers, and these are predominantly leisure customers, say that they have a separate saving account where they put money that is just for travel. So they're saving up for their trips, right? And so, like, think of what Alibaba did with Ant in terms of, like, so it's, if you take a fintech lens on making travel more, more affordable, to me, like, you have some Bitcoin and you want to use it to go to a Marriott, I should be enabling that. So my answer is yes, is that top of our priority list? No, we're much more interested in getting the wallet infrastructure right, which is something that Western companies suck at. We're terrible at the wallet. Even in India and in Southeast Asia, right. they're better at it than us. Fred, we're out of time. But uh, yes or no answer, SPAC or IPO in, in the next year? Uh, no SPAC, no IPO in the next year. Okay. Private, private rocks. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs>